The sermon text for this morning is John chapter 1. We have looked at John chapter 1 very closely over the past several weeks in our series through this gospel. And this morning, uh, before we uh, move on to John chapter 2, I want us to consider the different names and titles that are used for Jesus in John chapter 1 and and the significance, uh, not necessarily of each name, but the significance of how many names and titles he is given. And I want to begin by asking the question, uh, why does Jesus have so many names and titles? Now you might have noted through our reading uh, several of the names and titles, John chapter 1, notice there that Jesus is called the Word in verse 1. He is the life and the light in verse 4. He is the Lamb of God in verse 29. He is the Son of God, verse 34. The disciples called him a teacher in verse 38. He is the Messiah, the Christ, according to verse 41. He is also identified as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, in verse 45. And then Nathanael declared that he is the king of Israel in verse 49. And at the end of the chapter, verse 41, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. And all of these titles are just in John chapter 1. You know, if we were to look outside of this chapter, we would find so many more ways that Jesus is referred to in this gospel. And one example is when we get to John chapter 21, uh, we will read there the way in which Thomas, after seeing the resurrected Christ and, and seeing his nail-pierced hands and his pierced side, uh, Thomas declared as he looked to Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God. Two additional ways of referring to the Lord Jesus. And you know, if we go outside of the Gospel of John, we'll find even more ways that Jesus is spoken of. We go to the Old Testament, for example, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Right? In one verse, four additional titles are used to refer to Christ. Uh, there we read, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So why does the Bible give us so many ways of speaking about Jesus? Well, loved ones, we need to understand that in biblical times, names actually meant something. They were more than just means of identifying a person. Uh, they often told others who you were and what purpose God had for your life. A few examples from the Old Testament. We begin with Adam. Adam was the first man. The Hebrew name for man, Adam, is the generic term for mankind, and so it 
became Adam's proper name because he represented all of mankind in the covenant of works. We are all descendants of Adam, of Adam. And after God chose Abram, we read about in Genesis chapter 12, and he chose Abram and gave him the promise of descendants, descendants that would be too numerous to count, God changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham which means father of a multitude. See how the names correspond to what purpose God has for uh, these, these people's lives. And we read in John chapter 1 again this morning of, uh, about how when uh, Jesus met Simon, he gave Simon a new name. We read in verses 41 through 42 of John chapter 1 that Andrew found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew then brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas, in Aramaic, means rock. This a designation was Jesus' way of revealing that the work that he would accomplish in Peter's and in Peter's ministry. See, by designating Simon as Cephas, Jesus was indicating the special calling of apostle that he would have. Not as the first pope, right? But as the leader of the apostles as the church would be established after Jesus' resurrection. We read in the book of Acts, Peter's central role after Jesus' ascension. The important role that Peter played on the day of Pentecost, and, and then at the Jerusalem Council. So in the Bible, you see, a person's name meant a lot. It, it revealed a great deal about the person. And this is true even of God's own name, of God's name. Now you recall that uh, when God called Moses to go before Pharaoh, called him to uh, lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. Moses was a little bit hesitant to accept the call. Among the many questions that Moses asked God is, well, if I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, uh, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Uh, you know, Moses was revealing that uh, he was... He was really hesitant to do this. Um, you, know, you want us, Lord, to go before Pharaoh and, and to declare that, uh, that we're going to leave um, you know, his only workforce, his central workforce. You want us to go before the most powerful man, and you want me to convince the Israelites that we need to do this? Who will I say sent me? Well, we read God's answer in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And if you uh, 
look in your Bibles and you know this throughout the Old Testament, the word Lord, when spelled with capital letters in our Bibles, it stands for the divine name that God gave to Moses, often pronounced Yahweh. This is a God's special name, and it means he who is, or I am the one who is. See, God's name reveals who he is. It reveals something integral to his very being. It reveals that God is eternal and unchangeable. You and I are not like this. We, we change, right? We change over time in the way that we look, in the way that we think, even our behavior changes over time, but God's name reveals that he is eternal and, and unchanging. His name occurs in the present tense of the Hebrew verb to be. See, God does not say, I was who I was. He does not say, I will be who I will be. He says, I am who I am. Beloved ones, this is because God has no past or future, but he only has eternal presence. Right? God is the one who always is. He is who he is. He has always been who he is. And he will always be who he is. And this is why when he was speaking to Moses, he could say that I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I am your God as well, Moses. I have not changed. I remain the same. Now understanding this, loved ones, doesn't it give us a greater depth when we read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, where it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That Jesus Christ is the same, unchanging, divine nature. God himself. And the name that God revealed to Moses also explains to us that God is self-sufficient. That he is eternal and unchangeable, but he is also self-sufficient. Sufficient, we might say he is self existent. One theologian explains the Hebrew verb to be is flexible enough to allow the divine name to be translated as he who causes to be. That everything else owes its life and being to God, but God is independent. He stands alone. He, he doesn't owe his being or his attributes to anyone else or anything else. He simply exists all by himself. As the Puritan Matthew Henry observed, he said, the greatest and best man in the world must say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says absolutely, and it is more than any creature, man or angel can say, I am that I am. I am God. God is who he is in himself. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't have any unmet needs or unsatisfied desires. He does not need any help. He is not codependent. He doesn't live or move or have his being in anyone except himself. And this is why the Westminster Confession of Faith says, in, in describing God's attributes, it says that God has all life, glory, goodness, 
blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made. Loved ones, we get all of this simply from knowing his name. So much is revealed about the Lord from his name. And it's the same when we learn the name of Jesus. Because God gave Jesus his name. It's the name that reveals who he is and what he would do. You remember that Joseph was betrothed to Mary and he found out that uh, she was pregnant and so he resolved to divorce her quietly. Why did he do that? Because he thought that uh, she had been unfaithful to him. Mary had uh, been betrothed to Joseph, which in the ancient world was uh, even more significant than a wedding engagement. Uh, They were legally married, but they had not yet consummated their marriage. And so when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, we read that he resolved to divorce her quietly so that she might not be ashamed. But before that happened, we read that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel we see here put Joseph's heart to rest. Mary's pregnancy, he said, was not a result of her unfaithfulness, but it's actually a result of God's faithfulness toward his people. That the baby in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The baby was the result of God's supernatural work. And then the angel revealed something further to Joseph and said, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel gave this message to Joseph. Now, who are angels? Angels, one of the things that they do is they bring messages from God. And so God sent this angel with this specific message. I want Joseph to know the child's name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua which means God saves. It's made up of two parts, Yah, which is a shortened form of Yahweh, and uh, the second part is Hosea, which means salvation. So Jesus means God saves. See, it's the name that is above all names. It's the name that was given to Jesus to reveal who he is and what he would do in his life and ministry. It reveals that God wants us to know him, and he wants us to know his son. But we see in John chapter 1 in our text this morning, and not only is Jesus given a name, but he's also given titles, descriptions of his ministry and of his work and of his glory. In John chapter 1, And throughout the Bible, Jesus is given many titles. The titles we read in John 1, specifically 
reveal aspects of how he would accomplish our salvation. And if we look at them closely, they actually all have to do with his work as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. You know, we learned last Sunday that these three offices of prophet, priest, and king, they were the mediatorial offices that God established in the Old Testament. When we look in the Old Testament, we see how God appointed prophets, priests, and kings in Israel to mediate between him and his people. Israel's prophets, priests, and kings were go-betweens between God and his people. And so the prophets spoke from God to the people, like Moses, who often declared, thus says the Lord. The prophets brought God's word down to the people, his revelation. The priests spoke from God to the people. They offered sacrifices to God on behalf of Israel. They interceded for the people. They brought worship up to God. And then the kings ruled Israel in God's name and under God's authority. Kings such as Saul, David, Solomon, and so on. You know, we know that the problem with these prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament was that even on their best day, they were still sinners, and they still fell far short of what God called them to do. They weren't perfect. They often failed in their roles. But Jesus perfectly fulfilled all three of these mediatorial roles. And so if we keep these categories in mind, now we can see when we look in John chapter 1 that uh, Jesus' titles actually fit into these categories. For example, Jesus is called the Word in verse 1, which connects with his office of prophet. He communicates to us who God is and his being and his incarnation and his ministry and his speech. He is the Word. He is the one who perfectly fulfills the office of prophet. Along these lines, he is the light. He reveals what is true. And this is why even the disciples refer to him as teacher, the one who brings the word, who instructs, who enlightens, who leads. Jesus is also called the Lamb of God in verse 29, and this connects with his office of priest. But we know that as our priest, he didn't just offer animal sacrifices like the Old Testament priests, the Old Covenant priests, but he offered himself once for all. And we see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is also called the King of Israel, which connects with his kingly office. And even, even the title that Jesus uses for himself in verse 51, when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this title is from Daniel chapter 7. It's a title which speaks of a divine ruler who is given sovereign authority by God over all of creation. Even that title reveals that he is our king. See, loved ones, so many names and titles for Jesus, yet each one is significant. Each one is precious. Each one beautifully and more fully reveals who our Savior is. We might say 
we might say that each one is, is like a piece of a puzzle so that when they are all put together, we get a greater sense of who our Savior is. Now, if you didn't see the box top of a puzzle, it would be impossible to know what the completed picture looked like from just one piece. But when you see all the pieces fitted together, the picture becomes more complete. Loved ones, it's similar with Jesus' names and titles. Alone, they reveal some aspect of his person and his ministry and his glory, but together they reveal a greater sense of who he is. It's a more complete revelation of his person, his ministry, and his glory. And that's why we can say this morning, loved ones, as we confess to know Jesus and to know his name, we can confess the joy of knowing Jesus' name. Because the fact that God has revealed to us the preciousness of his Son and his work on our behalf reveals that God wants us to know him and that God wants us to come to him through his Son. See, for those who believe the joy of knowing Jesus' name comes from the joy of knowing him and all that he has done for us. His name that points us to his person and work. This is why our catechisms uh, speak about prayer. When they speak about prayer, they emphasize that uh, prayer is to be made in the name of Christ. Because when we pray in his name, what we're saying is we are approaching the Father through his Son, through our perfect mediator, through our prophet, priest, and king. In and of ourselves, uh, we could never approach God. This was uh, made clear to Israel with the tabernacle and the temple, that the Holy of Holies, which was filled with God's presence, you know, that it was inaccessible but once a year by the high priest, and even then he entered in with fear and with trembling. Loved ones, nothing has changed. God remains holy. He is a consuming fire. So if we were to approach him apart from Christ, we would never be received. This is because we are sinners. Our prayers are tainted by sin. Our desires are, are tainted by sin. Our affections are wrong because of sin. But the joy of knowing Jesus' name is the joy of knowing Jesus. Coming to God by faith through his Son, so that when we approach the Father through his perfect Son, we have the joy of knowing that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are received because we come through him. This meal that is before us is a gracious assurance that we are united to the Son of God, that we are united to Christ, that we approach God not clothed in our righteousness, but we approach through Christ. Loved ones, this is why Jesus' name is the sweetest name. This is why his name is the name above all names. 
John Wesley in his hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, writes, Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. And the apostle Peter declared in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thanks be to God that we know his name. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he uh, took on flesh, humbled himself in order to raise us up. We thank you for the light of spiritual clarity that he brings through his word and spirit, and we pray for daily grace to live for your glory and honor as we shine as lights in this dark world. We thank you for revealing yourself and your Son and the glorious work of your Spirit as you work in our hearts to reveal yourself to us through your Word and through your ongoing ministry in our world. Lord, we ask you to bless us now as we partake of this spiritual feast before us, prepare our hearts that we might come worthily, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.